a Finger Guns Network production. Hello friends and gamers and welcome to the first ever episode of AAA's Not Included. It's the pilot, if you will. If this is your first time listening to a podcast by the Finger Guns team, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you like it and I hope you stick around. If you're a regular listener to the Finger Guns podcast, prepare yourself for something just a little bit different. Well, it's not that different. Long-time listeners to the podcast might remember a segment called Indie Corner. It's here that where we would uh, wax lyrical about upcoming indie games and indie games that we loved. Well, it always felt a little bit out of place on the main podcast, sandwiched between impressions of the big marketing-driven flavours of the month and opinion pieces on topical subjects. It always felt a bit squeezed in there. I always felt that it deserved a little bit more space of its own, and that's what AAA's Not Included is. It's a podcast for all things indie gaming. From one-person studios to the boutique game publishers that do their best with the budget they have, I want to explore indie games and get the stories of those that make them. This podcast isn't going to be a regular scheduled thing. It's something that we're doing around everything else we already do, including fingerguns.net, the website, the Fingerguns podcast, streaming, and, you know, having a life. And we already do all of these things in our spare time already. Should this prove to be popular, I'll absolutely look into making them more regular and more scheduled. But for now, each episode will come when they're ready. And this one's a bit of an experiment already. I'm hoping this podcast does evolve over time. If you've got suggestions, please do get in touch. And I'm hoping that we get more regular segments and we, of course, get lots of guests. Later on in this podcast, myself and the rest of the Finger Guns team will be shining a light on some of our favourite indie games. I'll also be talking about some of our online resources, the news outlets and YouTube channels that I find useful for indie game news aside from fingerguns.net, of course. To begin with, though, we have an interview with Doug from Star River. Doug's game, Feral Flowers, is the type of game that I want to focus on with this podcast. Every single day, several times a day, I get emails from indie developers, press releases, just emails reaching out to show us their game. Some of these press releases are from asset flips that we absolutely do not give the time of day to that they deserve. Others are indie developers that have poured their heart and soul into creating a game and they just want to tell the world about it. Some of these games show immense promise and uniqueness, and Feral Flowers is one such game. Feral Flowers is a 2D permadeath roguelike platform, which doesn't sound unique. Usually that combination of words would be enough to make me roll my eyes into the back of my head and to steer clear of the game completely. I did play the demo though, and playing the demo, which you can play on itch.io now, I was totally surprised by how Moorish and well-designed this game is, and quite surprising really. The aim of each of these the game's levels is to jump onto the heads of each flower in the single screen level before the time runs out. Doing so will grant you more time for the next screen. If you're unsuccessful in hitting all of the flowers within that time limit, the screen starts to fill with molecules of pollen which, if they touch the protagonist, will make him sneeze and that run will end. He'll start from the beginning of the game again. I fell in love with this demo. I really did. I played it 
I played it to sample it and ended up coming back a lot more over, the, over a week's period. I originally scheduled this interview with Doug um, and funnily enough it was uh, it was delayed because I had hay fever <laughs> uh, which is quite fun um, but I did fall in love with this game and um, I spoke to Doug and we arranged an interview and this is our interview. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much for joining me, Doug. That's my pleasure. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, could you tell people uh, a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I am the uh, lead developer for Star River. Uh, <laughs> you might say the, the only developer for Star River uh, because we are not a very big company as it stands. And um, we are developing a um, a small, but we'd like to think powerful uh platformer, uh, permadeath, uh, roguelite, um, nonsense game called Feral Flowers. And um, Feral Flowers is is a powerful game. I played it, I played the demo that's currently available on H.io, and I can attest to the fact that it is powerful. How did you get into game development? Um, well, um, it's a bit of a winding road for me, but um, I guess I could say that I've I've always been into it. Um, my my first gaming rig was a um, a Windows ninety eight machine, and so at the time there were um, there were there were plenty of DOS games going around, more so than there were Windows games. And um, it was getting to the point where um, indie developers of the time were becoming really quite good at making them, making very highly polished uh, highly polished things. Um, I can remember playing stuff like uh, Jump and Bump, which was a, a freeware like multiplayer uh, fighting game involving a bunch of rabbits. Uh, it was a funny little game, um, and there was, you know, obviously there was plenty of other stuff available like Duke Nukem, Jack Jazz Rabbit, all of that kind of stuff. And um, I can remember um, playing a few of these and realizing that a, a subset of the games I liked I all used the same programming library, and um, it was a C library, and so I, I started, uh, I guess, around the turn of the millennium, uh, programming C. Uh, now, this is not a route I would recommend uh, to anybody, or I should say wish upon anybody, because it is, uh, it's not particularly easy. In fact, it's very difficult, and you have to do a lot of memory management. And um, I don't know, it gives you lots of control, um, but anyone who's coded with it can tell you um, that it is um, sometimes a very difficult language to work with. Uh, because you've you've got to do everything, generally speaking, unless you have a library to do it for you. But, uh, managing libraries with C can be a bit of a pain in the ass. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I won't go too much further into it. But basically, um, since I was pretty young, uh, I have I, I guess I'd say that I've had the ambition to create something. Um, but only within the past couple of years, maybe three or four years, have I gotten especially serious about it. And I've started using an actual game engine uh, written by clever people. Um, rather than trying to do everything myself. Um, the game engine that we chose uh, is called Godot, um, which I don't know, visitors uh, to this podcast may know. I'm not sure how many devs are listening, um, but it is a completely um, free, as in open source uh, game engine. There are no royalty frees. And um, it's, it's perhaps not as mature as Unity or Unreal, but um, it, we very much enjoy using it. And um, it feels very natural um, in many ways, uh, especially when you're making 2D games uh, versus, uh, especially versus something like Unreal. Yeah, do, do you know how many years I've gone through my life going at Godot? 
and <laughs> really <laughs> yeah <laughs> um oh that's yeah. that's amazing to hear <laughs> you know um, yeah it's it's it seems like a powerful I've, some of my favorite games are in have been made were made in godot i guess um but that is all apparently cool. it is good godot yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I've I've heard loads of people pronounce it loads of different ways. But yeah, no, that's that's interesting. So, um, what kind of what kind of stuff have you played? Oh, off the top of my head, you're putting me on the spot now. I'm gonna have to Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know when you you start a game and um, it says it's it's got the fact that it's made in Godot on the front, and it's like oh, and yeah, that just kind of sticks in your brain. But all, all of your passion this last couple of years is is culminated in Feral Flowers, uh, which is currently there's a demo available on itch.io. And I'll be honest with you, I was at the first glance, it looks like it looks like a lot of other games that are out there. But to play it, it's it's refreshingly unique. Um and 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 when I first read the description, it was like, you know, a, a roguelike. I was like, oh no. And <laughs> permadeath, <laughs> oh no. Um but then to play it, it's it's actually it's it's very different. So one of the first things that I took away from this. So the aim of uh, the aim of feral flowers each level is to kill the flowers on the level uh, by jumping on their heads. But you've only got a set amount of time to do that, and if the time runs out, the screen begins to fill with pollen. And if pollen hits, is it Quigby, the gardener? Quigley, 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 yeah, Quigley yeah. Sorry, yes. Um, <laughs> so so the flowers will fire pollen at you before the time runs out, and it's not fatal. But the pollen that spawns when the timer runs out is, and obviously you've rewarded time for completing levels. It's it's such a refreshing thing that like okay I I can mess this level up you know I, I can hit by, I get hit by pollen and it's okay like I could take one one bounce I'm wasting time, um, but time is is kind of the resource of the game rather than health, and uh, it, it is refreshing. I just just wanted to point that out like I played it and was like. Huh, I like it. I don't think I've seen this before. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear that. I mean, it was. Um, it, would, would you be interested if I if I talked about how that kind of came about? Yes. Oh, that was my next question. <laughs> oh, all right. Fantastic. Um, because I, I guess it would it would probably make sense for me to um, to go into some of the um, some of the the other games that I had in mind um, while while I was like helping come up with this, and it was like. Like so, thinking back to um, again, like my childhood, the, the kind of stuff that I played then, um, and I, I, I've mentioned DOS games already, but um, actually, DOS games probably weren't um, a big influence on on this one. Um, weirdly, uh, despite the fact that it's a platform game, uh, probably the, the biggest uh, like uh, like influence I can think of is something like um, Sega Rally Championship or, or Daytona USA, like those kind of like arcade races um that you you get and um i know some of them are still around but um I, i'm guessing that a, a lot of people haven't played them if you do happen to stumble across an arcade like seriously get in there and play sega rally championship you won't regret it it's a, it's it's like it, it's deadly hard but it's it's very satisfying to um to to nail the courses and like really get on top of it um and and yeah, like the, the thing about those games that um was kind of addicted me and had me sinking so much money into them was um that they'd have this I guess this just this omnipresent timer um at, at the top, 
And uh, from the moment you started the game, it would be ticking down. There was no real reason it was there because you were racing against several other people. So trivially, you know, if you if you lost the race and you didn't come first, then then that was it, right? But um, on top of having to race against all of these other people, there was this time pressure. Um, it, it didn't have any reason to be there other than to kick you off the arcade machine so someone else could could put some money into it. Um, but um, it created a very unique kind of a, a thrill, I guess. Um, and it was it was a thrill that I liked so much that I just sort of thought, you know what, like, it doesn't really need to, there doesn't need to be any reason for it. But does that kind of make sense? Absolutely, yeah. So like in, in the right. classic arcade races, you know, you go through your checkpoint, you get a bit more time. And if you were too slow, you'd end up getting mm. kicked off and it would say, insert more coins. Um, but in this game, it doesn't request you pay more money. It's just the hard end of your game. Any time that you've wasted yeah. is is your resource wasted. And uh, it's it's a smart take on, on that. I didn't actually put two and two together and come up with the arcade inspiration, if I'm honest. I'm glad you've, you've said that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's also a, like a, a very charming game. Um, the flowers themselves are like they've got the little dance going on. The music's quite uh, encouraging. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make me <laughs> want to throw the laptop out when I've finally got to the uh, boss and not, um, and died for the thirtieth time. But one of the things that, that oh my condolences, <laughs> I will defeat that boss. I'll tell you. Um, one of the things that I also thought that was really smart that you did with this game is so that um, what you've got so far. So one of one of my pet peeves with, and this is why when I saw Roguelike and I saw Permadeath, I thought to myself, oh no. But because you end up playing the same parts of the same games over and over again, and uh, it takes some of the fun out of it. Obviously, back in the day, that was how you played the game. You know, back in uh, MS-DOS games, early Mega Drive games, those kind of things, where you basically play a game, get muscle memory, you'd be able to play almost with your eyes closed. But obviously, this is 2021. Games aren't like that anymore. And you've included warp tools, which, oh my God, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, those, those were... Um... I can remember doing a little bit of, of reading um, b- before we like properly started development about, um, I, I don't know, um, I can't remember if Hades was out at that point, um, but this there was this sudden, like recently, there's there's been this resurgence of, of the whole kind of roguelike genre, right? Um, and um, this, uh, this term roguelite started coming about where um, if you played the game again and again, um, you would at least be given a little bit more of a chance on your subsequent runs to um, to try and get through it. And um, that just ended up feeling a lot more fair than this idea of you've got to go all the way back to the beginning and complete all of the levels again. Um, it just just because, I, like, for, for the majority of players, I've got to be honest, like, that that must just be quite boring. <laughs> so, I don't know. That, that was my feeling on it. Like, not, not to call NetHack or anything like that or, you know, any of those old games that are true roguelikes uh boring uh, because they're certainly not um you know like having everything in your entire playthrough like hinging upon the decisions that you're making right now um but yeah like those those warps um in the uh, so in, in the full game um there are there are 92 levels and i think i can't remember the exact number but i think there are nine or, or ten warps in the game um and as you um so like in addition to 
just like playing through and trying to like bash your throat your way through the levels to get as far as you can um there is an element of exploration to it too because you need to you need to keep your eyes open you need to find these things so that you can progress more quickly if that makes sense yeah so i've been quite enjoying the fact that it's got quite a lot of character this game has um and the fact that also the difficulty is really well pitched um so you you are given things that to learn at a really steady pace um which is i, I a lot of these old school um like influence platformers i find are tough as nails whereas i managed to get like what i thought was a reasonably <laughs> decent way through the game on my first try and obviously it's not it wasn't you know i got nowhere near 92 i don't know how many levels are in the the demo build um but I, I was really impressed with the way that the game was designed because it was um it, it taught you things really gradually you know the first level you just got to jump on a flower the second one the flower was fighting back have, have you spent a lot of time jigging this tweaking it making sure that everything that is is as it should be <laughs> um the the short answer is uh yes a, a ridiculous amount of time um <laughs> but um but the long answer is um I'm, I'm very glad to hear you say this um because um i mean we, we've done like a fair amount of testing um we, we actually like uh so our, our friends recently we, we held like a um a tournament um and uh, basically put money on the line for people who could get the furthest in the game as quickly as they could. And um, let me tell you, uh, nothing nothing gets people playing your game uh, like money being on the line. And so yeah, one of my mates won 125 quid. He was, he was very happy with that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, like um, all of that stuff um, has, has helped sort of bring it together to, to where it is now. Um, I believe that the demo that you're playing has, I think, 19 levels in it. That, that's including the, the boss that you mentioned. And um, uh, yeah, I, I guess, um, though, yeah, there, there has been a lot of trial and error involved. Um, like, this is the first, like, really big platformer that I personally have made. Um, and yeah. Um, there, there are some really obvious, uh, I guess, inspirations there. I mean, you know, I, I could talk all day about um, Mario Brothers 1-1, right? You know, like the classic example of of teaching people without, um, you know, teaching them, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like gem generally the rule has been, um, yeah, like, I don't know, like a, a new thing once or twice every, like, two or three levels, I guess. And um, generally speaking, that that seems to have been fine. And um, I just about made it to the end of like the, the planned like 92 levels that we had, um, just as just as we were running out of ideas um, for for gimmicks. So uh, that <laughs> it happened to turn out quite well. That's a hell of a lot of actual variety as well, because I was going to say that was that was the next thing I was going to mention. There's quite a lot of variety in those levels that I've, I've managed to play, um, and the fact that it does introduce new things. Like the first time a flower rapid fired pollened me was like totally out of the blue, and I was like, "Oh, I'm screwed! I'm screwed! I'm screwed!" And uh, I was screwed. I died. But um, that was because <laughs> I I took in I took it like half a second to figure out what I was doing. Uh, whereas the next time, you know, I knew, for example. 
uh, I got like a very short period of time before the flower started to absolutely hammer me with rapid fire pollen. And um, yeah, it's it's like a very varied game. And to hear that that's going on for, you know, 92 levels, that's that's incredible. Congratulations. Oh, like, <laughs> do, do you know what? Like, <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks very much. I, do you know, what? I, you're, you're compared to like most of the feedback I've got and you're showering me with praise. I can honestly say that. So firstly, thanks very much. Um, but I, I guess um, what I will say is um, uh, to anyone listening who, who thinks like this, this thing does come like with 92 massive levels. Um, no, like a, a level, a level in feral flowers is a, a screen's worth of action. And um, so there is, there's generally speaking, there, there is no camera movement at all. Um, and so it, in that sense, I guess like every level is just one kind of like tiny micro puzzle um, with, with the, the flowers that you mentioned that just kind of hammer you with bullets. Like, yeah, there, there are like some of the enemies will just kind of, um, you, you know, like they'll they'll strategically place a bullet every now and then just to knock you back. But um, this that particular enemy, the one that like absolutely like goes ham, that um, I've got to be honest, like that was more of a spectacle than anything else, because once you know that it's coming, you can just jump over it and you can just get to the other side really quickly and and, and smash it. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I've, I've got to say, despite that, like that was like easily one of the most satisfying things to add to the game for me personally, um, just because every time like someone has I've, I've seen someone play that level for the first time um they've they've just immediately like thrown up their hands like how the hell am i meant to deal with that and then the next time through they're just like oh oh yeah i can just jump over and it's like that it's very satisfying to watch that that progression yeah and and you know obviously i think it's in the very next level where there is no jumping over but there is uh, an invincibility pickup which allows you just to mm. sprint through them it's like yeah, of course. That's <laughs> no, well done. <laughs> um, what's what's the what's the plans for feral flowers? When when I, I don't want to ask you when is it out. I don't want you to nail down any concrete. But uh, what are your plans uh, for development and potentially release? Oh well, um, <laughs> I was writing a um, so um, currently the game is only on itch, and um, we've been we've been doing our like development logs on there. And um, <laughs> I was writing one a uh, like I think it was coming up to two months ago now that was saying oh the get the game will be out in, in two or three months. Um, I, unfortunately, I'm not sure about that anymore, and I can tell you exactly why that is. Um, it's because I completely underestimated uh, how complex it would be to code a final boss um, that would be something that would actually surprise the player. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into that, obviously, because I'd like it to be a surprise uh, for anyone who does happen to be listening. But, um, uh, but yeah, um, the the mechanics involved in just this one final level um, are really, unfortunately, pushing it back. And um, so, yeah, I've got that to do. Um, we've got uh, some a small bit of animation to make uh, for the outro. And um, after that's done, there's going to be a fair bit more testing. I'd imagine uh, we'll be sending that to um, people we know and people who've already bought the game. Um, like, and we'll, we'll probably do that for a week or two um, before uh, before it actually goes gold. Um, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, ho hopefully, hopefully in a month's time, something like that. That that would be great. Um, 
it, it largely depends on um, the unknown unknowns in the development of this thing. Unfortunately, I think that that often is the case, and especially when you're a, unfortunately a more like inexperienced um, studio like we are, um, with you know like a couple of people who've who are quite new to like making a an actual proper commercial game. But um, yeah, once that's done and uh, and once it's out. Um, there are a couple more things that I personally would like to do. There's, um, we're, we're going to be putting out the soundtrack on Bandcamp. Um, that, that's going to be exciting because that's great um, idea. Yeah. we, yeah, well, we, we want to give it a little bit of a, um, little bit of a judge, a little bit of a remix um, before it goes out, uh, just to, just because, um, so I'll, I'll get, I'll get technical, uh, just, just a bit technical here. The, the game's, the game's soundtrack is actually like a tiny, a few tiny audio files that are all chopped up and uh, by themselves are not really worth listening to. Um, in order to make a complete song out of them, uh, you have to merge them together, and um, ideally there'd be some kind of, um, you know, like some sort of intro outro effects between each bit. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Um, it's yeah yeah so it's like segmented and um so yeah that needs to be fixed up fixed up and put into a format that is uh hopefully listenable so um yeah that'll be the next thing after the release and then after that um it being honest it's probably going to need to be to be put on steam uh if it's going to get any kind of um what's the word exposure i guess um maybe a couple more stores as well um like I've, I've had my eyes on the epic store as well that that looks like a, a good one um yeah i don't know <laughs> guess there's still a bit of a fair bit of research to do there but steam is, is a definite one and then after that um yeah like i, I think we're going to be putting out some dlc as well um not like nothing too crazy but um certainly like a new game plus kind of thing um for proper masochists who want to play the entire game again but uh with really like nasty tricks and um <laughs> we we might even do things like i don't know like warping the player backwards some some proper like mario brothers lost levels kind of shit. oh my god <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's sadistic <laughs> like yeah it. yeah yeah well you know it's uh, some people like that for whatever reason <laughs> i um i was recently uh playing through celeste and um get getting towards the, the final parts of that game like you really do have to commit you know if you're if you're gonna get through um the just just the um the, the ridiculous challenges that it poses to you um but um but yeah you know it has a certain enjoyment to it i suppose that yeah. kind of thing i think one of the things about celeste is that most of the most difficult challenges are kind of optional you know like the strawberries mm. and things like there is like a golden path that you can go through that game where it's it's reasonably challenging, but like not like super Meat Boy level of challenging. And then, oh um, uh, yeah, and there's assist mode as well, so you know yeah. you can always give that a whirl if you need to. Yeah, um, I thought I that was a genius bit of like engineering, by the way. Like that was like kudos to them for um, for, for chucking that in for uh, people like me when they give up. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And um, so, so are you going to be setting up a, a Steam store for people to wishlist um, before it releases, or are you, are you going to release on itch first and then? Because if you, if you are, I, I will retroactively post the link into this uh, this um, podcast because uh, you, you know that how important the the wishlists are for whatever whatever 
algorithm Steam currently uses. Um, but if <laughs> I yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. And I, I'll be honest, like um, none of us have any experience with Steam, um, <laughs> like other than playing games on it. Um, so there's yeah, we 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 got some learning to do there. Uh, but uh, I, I guess my my response to that would be yeah, why not? It's it's just something that we've not gotten around to yet. As ridiculous as that might sound, like given how big Steam is, yeah, it's uh, just just easier. And I think the thing is, uh, from from going through your itch.io, which I, I'm is that the way I'm supposed to be pronouncing it, itch.io or itch.io or anyway, I, I think so. I'm not really sure myself. <laughs> so. It seems like you built up a reasonably like uh, kind of interactive community there. You know, you've got your updates there, and I've seen that most of your updates get a couple of comments, and um, you've you've got some some comments on the game itself, some feedback and stuff. It it seems like you've, you're doing quite well on it compared to quite a lot of developers that I see on there that have you know they post their game, they post it, and it's just it's just kind of like a portal for them to sell the game rather than actual a tool to build a community, which. It's impressive to see you using that way. That way, it's not something I see often. Oh, I, do, do you know what? Like this is this is going to sound terrible, but um, I I don't think I've been paying enough attention to it because I've, I've not seen these comments you mentioned. Um, <laughs> so yeah, oh blimey, I, I need to I need to go and check those out. But um, but yeah, you know, like um, it, I've been surprised actually. Um, like from from basically nothing. Like we've been posting updates via the the development the the devlogs feature. And um, yeah, pe people just come and come and look at them. I, I think it's just because um, Itch like makes an effort to sort of publish them. And so if you go on the, um, the devlog section of the site, you'll just see lots of logs from lots of different people. Um, what, one thing I, I really would like to do more of is, um, especially once the game's out, like kind of do a couple more like long form pieces on the, the challenges that we had to, to overcome. I think especially with regards to the coding of the game, that there was a lot that's kind of, um, unfortunately that that's left to be desired with this because it's been made pretty quickly and um we, we've actually got this this list of um of things we would do differently if we started from scratch again um that i think it would be quite interesting to kind of talk to people about um ju just like you know techniques with 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 godot and um ways we found of of making um coding like slightly larger projects like this uh, work without wanting to scream um so um so yeah there's i think that we, we've got a lot more to write about and i you know i personally love writing these these blogs um devlogs whatever you want to call them um and yeah i, I can see we've got a, like looking out i can see we've got a couple of reviews that's that's quite nice actually that's oh that's very flattering I, I'm, I'm really sorry I, I need to pay more attention to this this is, <laughs> this is awful <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's this has been a revolutionary podcast <laughs> interview, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, um, thank you very much for joining me. Um, it, it's it's itch.io slash Star River. Is that where people can get can check out the demo? Let me just a quick check. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's our our company page on um, on itch. The I tell you what, like probably the easier option to give people is um, so. So our website is. Um, star river uh, all one word uh, dot run as in you know running and um that's got a link to the game and a contact link uh, if you want to drop us an email um and uh, yeah the, the contact link will just take you straight to the the itch page um where you can grab a copy of the demo uh watch the trailer um maybe pre-order uh, if you're feeling especially generous uh <laughs> and um <laughs> so yeah um again thanks for joining me and uh i Thanks very much for having me. It's it's a pleasure. I, it's been great. 
um we get we get so many interviews for like sorry requests for you know come do what you want to speak to us and stuff i genuinely was very impressed with your game and that's why you know uh, it was one of those things that i clicked on the link download the demo and i was like this is great this is awesome and and congratulations on on what you created so far and good luck with the rest of the development and uh, i look forward to playing the game when it's it's fully released i will pre-order thanks very much that's, that's so good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant thanks very much mate thank really you very much you. cheers Again, I want to thank Doug for coming to speak to me. Uh, he was a really great guest. And you should definitely check out Feral Flowers by following the link in the description of this podcast. So this next segment is something that we've recorded after our main Finger Guns podcast this week. It is a collection of games that we wanted to shine a spotlight on. A collection of indie games that we found special or that we enjoyed a lot. It's something that I want to do regularly and... Um, I think most of us at Finger Guns have a real passion for indie games and this this selection of games that we're going to talk about, there are some special games in this collection. And uh, if you've not played any of these games, I highly recommend you play them. I've played them all and I can vouch for them all. So without further ado, let's get on with this segment, which I'm going to call something like Spotlight. Enjoy! I am now joined by... Ross. Hi. Greg. No, he's just gone. <laughs> <laughs> well. Should we start uh, again? <laughs> no, no, let's just carry <laughs> on. This is really funny. Uh, yeah, I, we've just finished recording the normal podcast. This is like an addendum. It's the end. So we're all tired and cranky. Um, so this might be terrible. But um, I'm joined by Ross, by Miles. Hello. Kat. Hello. And Toby. Hi. And uh, we're just going to talk about uh, an indie game that we like and the reason why. Um, so let's start with Ross. I wonder what you're going to talk about. Thank you so much. You may think that I'm going to talk about Night in the Woods, I would imagine. I, I 100% think you are going to, but now you've thrown a spanner in the works. <laughs> I'm going to talk about... I'm going to talk about Night in the Woods. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about Firewatch, actually. Oh, okay. Um, Firewatch is an indie game. We can class that as an indie, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah. fine by me, yeah. Um, it's a game that I played in 2016, I guess, um, from those wonderful guys at Campo Santo, who haven't made anything since. Um, they were going to make that god game. I can't remember the name of it now. But um, I believe that's been cancelled. In the Valley of the Gods. In the Valley of the Gods, that's the one. Looked yeah, beautiful. They, yeah, it's, they, it's, it's been cancelled. They've, they've joined Valve and become part of their, their Half-Life. Team, so oh god, that's so sad. Yes. Anyway, um, anyway, Firewatch is a wonderful indie. Um, I, maybe it's not my favorite indie in the whole world, but it's um, it's one that came to mind when Sean uh, brought this up. I love the the story, uh, particularly the performances. Um, it's how I got to know Sissy Jones. Um, obviously, she won a BAFTA for her performance in Firewatch, and it's just so deep and complex and layered. Um, like I said, I think a couple of weeks ago on the main podcast. Um, on the surface, it may not be a, a performance that kind of catches your ear, but the more the game carries on, you you sort of realise the predicament that she's in. And it's just so wonderful. And I love the visual style. It was obviously made by Ollie Moss, who, if you don't know, is a very popular uh, film poster creator. He creates a lot of uh, wonderful minimalist stuff. Uh, Paul's a very big fan of his. Uh, if, you, if you ever see Paul's work, you can, you can, you can see Ollie Moss in it all over. And... Um, 
it's just a, a, a beautiful game, a beautiful game that I think should be played by more people. Um, it's available, I think, on everything, I believe, um, at this point. Uh, when it landed on Switch, I bought it again, and I played it over and over. It was just wonderful to play on Switch because it's like it's a game that's set in this this forest, and you just play a, a forest manager, essentially. Um, you play a, a groundskeeper um, that has to keep the place tidy and keep it clean. And throughout that time, you come across different stories and you come across different challenges. And throughout, there's this kind of relationship going on between you and Delilah, Sissy Jones's character that's in your voice, in your head the whole time. She she plays uh, a kind of faceless, faceless character, uh, overcomes, and she's she's wonderful. She's got your back the entire time. And yeah, I love it. And it's one of those games that I will never, ever tire of because it's just a, a beautiful experience. And in, I'm saying it right now, makes me want to go and play it again. So uh, yeah, if you haven't already, I highly recommend Firewatch by Campo Santo. It is a beautiful, wonderful, life-affirming experience. Thank you, Ross. I would absolutely second that. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite games of that year. Did you like not give it your Game of the Year award in total like that year? I believe I did. Totally believe it too. I believe I did. And I fell in love with Sissy Jones and stalked her until we got an interview. It was great. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's not weird at all. <laughs> no. Um, Kat, shine your spotlight on an indie game. Um, so my spotlight is probably something I've mentioned to you before, Sean, because I remember you actually knowing what it was and liking it. Um, and I love it. I constantly think about this game because I think it's just so amazing. And that's Don't Starve. Um, so they are made by uh, Cly Entertainment. So they're the same people who make um, Oxygen Not Included, um, if you've played that. I've not actually played it, but I have. It's been on my wish list for some time, but it's Steam, so I've no longer got Steam. Um, but I first fell in love with Don't Starve on Steam, and since then it's come to all the other kind of consoles. It's now on PlayStation. It's It's got a Switch port. It's essentially a survival video game, and I feel really tough with myself because everybody's like, oh, I love Dark Souls because it's so difficult. I love this because it's so difficult. I love Dishonored because it's so difficult. Uh, Don't Starve is really really hard um and it's so satisfying when you survive the night when you're able to feed yourself when you go down like a hole that you've not found so it's kind of uh, kind of a survival and resource game um and it's so layered and it's so in depth and it's just got this banging soundtrack little tune thing um that's so catchy and they've made loads of expansions since like there's nothing that's not done on purpose in don't starve or don't starve together so they made them an additional game called Don't Starve Together. It's exactly the same as Don't Starve. You just play with a friend. Um, and so that is super handy. Would definitely recommend Don't Starve Together uh, because you can do everything. But there's so much that you will just consistently keep exploring and finding out. Um, it took me quite a long time to get the platinum. I was determined to get the platinum on PlayStation. It's one of my rarest platinums. Um, it's just a beautiful game. It's really, really well made. Nothing is by accident. Um, the, the game just follows just you can have so many different modes to the game as well so you can have like this kind of permanent death game where you know you start from finish if you die you die that's it and that really sucks because you could last 100 days have the most beautiful camp and all of a sudden um, your fire goes out and the dark kills you um, you have seasons 
as well implemented so you have to gather different you're essentially constantly prepping for the next season which is really stressful um but it's so rewarding um they've also made a don't starve shipwrecked and you think everything that you think you know about don't starve and all the items and the resources you have no idea because they've changed them all up in shipwrecked um so you have no idea what's good and what's bad there'll be some things as well so you have like your insanity meter you have um your hunger meter um you have your health and you have to keep all of them kind of up but the dark makes you scared the certain characters might have certain perks as well depending on who you choose um and there's an underground called the caves and you can only get certain resources in the caves you can get magic and do lots of great magical things you can um create ovens you can create fridges so your food doesn't spoil it's just so clever and I constantly think I even have a Funko Pop of Wilson and, and the little uh, even little kind of pumpkin that follows you around called Chester and he boings everywhere and it's just amazing. Um if you've not played it, it's on every single console and it's even on iOS for like five pounds and it's so worth it. Um give it a go because I can't talk it up enough and I was so glad when it came to PlayStation and now I don't have friends who will play it with me anymore um but I do think about it I always want to get into it there are YouTubers who have dedicated their their career to Don't Starve because it's that in-depth and people have made like hub worlds of different it's amazing what people have done with this game um so yeah definitely one of my highlights definitely one of my favorite indie games of all time and deserves every bit of spotlight despite the fact that it was made eight years ago you know I, I I've watched some of these YouTubers. I, I always felt when I was playing it that I was getting for, you know, I'm progressing. I'm doing really well. Yeah. I built myself a little camp with a little, with a, yeah. a little, little fridge. Fire. Little. I'm, I'm living the dream. And then you go online, you're like, this guy's got a town going. Yeah. Got, what the hell? crazy <laughs> what people can do online. And they've got like a monkey zoo where they're like, you know, getting constant <laughs> bananas and they've got beef flow. They're getting constant. They've got beef flow farm. I've beef, beef flow in my car as well. Like a little plushie. It's just great. But yeah, the people online, you know, it's great. And you can also join other people's worlds. They've got a multiplayer online version where you can make stuff with other people or have a PvP mode. And I am not ashamed to say that one time I woke up and chose violence and I thought, I'm going to burn this person's town down. Oh my God. <laughs> Someone did it to me and I just, I was sad. Okay. I, Chester, Chester died. I so you passed on the rage. I did, and I got the gloop monster. There's like a little gloop monster that only comes around once, 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 um, once a season, and he comes on a full moon. Um, and that's another thing as well. Like you get full moons, but only certain items will come out. You also then have hound attacks, and each kind of as days go on, the hounds get more dangerous, and and your whole camp can be set on fire. But if you play multiplayer, someone could just stroll through your gate, set your whole camp alight. I was devastated. I was heartbroken. I've done. So I just wanted to pass on the love, really. Oh, well done, I guess. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You've ruined someone else's game. I did. Yes. I did. But it was a very small game. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like a whole town. It was just like a very small, very tiny, tiny game. And I thought, no. Because wow. they were mean to me as well. They were like, get out. And I was like, no. I was like, you invited <laughs> me here. And they were like, no, leave. And I was like, no. I was like, well, fine. I'm just going to burn your crap down. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh. Don't be a hater and don't starve. So yeah, that's Don't Starve. <laughs> uh, Miles, what would you like to shine your spotlight on? Mine is Soma. Uh, so it's yes. Like a, yes, I'm glad you liked it as well. Um, I thought it was a really excellent uh, story and narrative. Um, it's one of those where it kind of delves into the idea of 
what is like the nature of being alive or existing and it explores like some cool stuff around kind of consciousness and there's a couple of kind of story beats which help you kind of uh question your own sense of consciousness or how consciousness would actually work um and it's set right down deep underwater in this kind of facility which is kind of breaking down and it's all destroyed and decrepit and all the people are dead but there's these murderous robots running around and you don't know why and it's got a really cool kind of setup to it so you kind of wake up you're going for an operation it's like this experimental thing um and then you wake up and suddenly you're in this facility and everything is dead and dark and broken and horrible um and as it kind of flows through the story it just gets more and more interesting um quite similar to firewatch um you've got a kind of female uh, ai companion that kind of guides you through, gives you your objectives, tells you what to do and helps you to the end. Really well voice acted and done really, really well. Um, the actual kind of like stealth mechanics are pretty rudimentary and aren't great, um, but they even added an option just to turn it off so that you can actually just pretty much skip those encounters altogether and actually just focus on the main part of the story and the narrative if you want to. So it's got an amazing sense of atmosphere. It's not a horror game per se, but the sense of tension and discomfort as you're working through uh all the different environments is really good and yeah i just think it's a brilliant game and it's one of those indie titles i never used to play that many indies um but i went through a phase for like a couple of years of playing quite a few story driven ones and that one really stood out to me as one of the best ones um and the ending is just really well done again i, I just i don't really have a bad word to say about it despite the fact it's not the best game it just really kind of made me think and it's got a lot of meta stuff to it and i think it's brilliant and people should play it if they're willing to give it a go good recommendation not enough people talk about sona yeah i think it deserves more love than it gets it does it does i'm really glad they added that kind of peaceful mode where you just go through and get the story because uh i kind of noped out on a section that i really got stuck in oh really and then when they had the peaceful mode i went back and did it so um yeah thank you who, who is the developers for that i can't remember now can't remember now. Uh, no, it's gone out of my head. I remember. They, I think they did one of the uh, the. the uh, I'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> uh, Toby and Elliot. Hello. Hello. What game would you like to shine your spotlight on? Uh, well, Elliot doesn't play a lot yet. He's only three weeks old. Oh. Um, so I'm going to take over. So. I'd like to shine a spotlight on a game that I think gets forgotten uh, in the wake of Hades. So Hades is great, but another game came first. And if you can hear Elliot there, he doesn't agree. Um, the, another game came first, and it was uh, doing narrative in a bite-sized way in a roguelite before Hades did it. And that is Children of Mortar. Yes. So... Children of Mortar is a roguelite. It's one where you play as five different members of an even larger family. I think it's about seven or eight members in this family. They live in a really large house in the woods on the edge of a very evil forest. You know, the, the woods turns into a very evil forest on the outskirts. They've got all sorts of weird shit going on underneath their house as well. Um, and you basically go on these, you know, runs like a roguelite. Um, as different members of the family. Each one has different uh, different moves, different uh, weapons, different combos, et cetera, that they can do. It's very similar to a twin stick shooter in the way it actually plays. Um, and then you go on your run, you, you go as far as you can, you try and defeat that particular area's bosses and things, and you've got to slowly open up what's happening and you know defeat the evil that's in that forest and under your house and things. Um, 
every time you die, you go back to the house or every time you complete an area, you go back to the house and you'll then continue. You'll, you'll get a small section of story. It'll be, you know, dinner time back at the house and they'll have a little chat about, you know, what what the last person you did went on what was in their adventure and um or you know grandma will have discovered a book in that might help you with some magic spells or the baby did something funny or you know the, all these different things that happened with the family they're all really deep as well lots of things that, that you know there's a there's a strange relationship between the parents there's a um you know there's two kids there's one kid running runs away and you know gets lost in the forest before we have to find them there's a, a long lost cousin who comes back into the story it's got loads of these really intricate elements of storyline within this family that you get only in five minute or even like two minute sections and by the time you get you know 10 to 15 odd hours into this you are invested you know totally invested in these characters even though you've only seen them for these little snippets and I just thought it was the most insanely clever and interesting modern way of telling a, ga a game story because I'd never seen it before at that time you know roguelites were not telling stories when that game came out it was the first one I can think of the first one I can still find now that told a bite-sized narrative like that and obviously since then you know that's got a bit more popular and I'm really glad it has because I've really enjoyed the other games that have done it as well Returnal and Hades to mention that the main two that have really been successful at it um children of water is on xbox game pass if anyone is interested you should really dig it out and have a look see what you know what essentially what hades stole and has done brilliantly absolutely i love hades but it is there first in this game and um and it's just wonderful it's it's all pixel arty and it's all um there's a lot of very very clever stuff in the combat as well that that you can sort of share skills and as one character gets better they they start getting corrupted so you have to then switch to another character but that then heals the one you were using before and they share all these powers between them the more you advance and you up up um what's the word? upgrade each of them the more they all get powerful because the family is getting more more strength as a whole as a unit and i've just found the whole thing just incredibly interesting um i don't think i put it down for about two weeks it was just just brilliant and it still sticks in the mind as just one of my favorite favorite indies you know funny story i reviewed um children of mortar about two months before you started on figure yeah. guns yeah and i gave it nine out of ten and i i swore it was one of the best you know roguelike roguelite inventions since sliced bread mm. and then when when you applied to join the team and you wrote a, a review of Children of the Mortar and gave it nine out of 10 and mentioned all of the same kind of points. <laughs> and I was, I was like, this guy belongs on the team because Aww. that game was phenomenal. You know, not enough people talked about it. And it, despite the fact that it got a lot of, you know, the kind of media it did time get before pretty released, good reviews, really. Yeah, yeah they were all right. Yeah. I, just, I just feel like it's forgotten in the wake of yeah. Hades and... I mean, you know, Hades took it and evolved it, and now Dreamscape has taken that and evolved it even further. You know, there's a genre that's blossoming in the inside the roguelike roguelite genre, and it's it's great. And Children Mods kicked all that off. And you're yeah. right; it shouldn't be forgotten for that because nope. it should be know, lauded. It, it really should. You know, th there's probably a developer somewhere going, "God damn it, Children of Mods stole my thing," but <laughs> you <laughs> know, <laughs> it, it might go, you know, further down the rabbit hole. But I, the first one I've spotted was Children Mortar. Loved that game. Like you, spent weeks with it. My review was like three weeks late after embargo because I didn't want to stop playing. So, <laughs> oops. Um, but yeah, thanks, thanks, Toby. No worries.
so my the game that I want to cast a spotlight on is called Path of Destinies. So this was developed by Spearhead Games and it was released in 2016. It's available on PS4 and Xbox. And so because of that, PS5 and Xbox series, and it's out on PC. Uh, so this is basically one giant branching narrative game. Uh, you play as this co- this fox called Reynardo, um, who who's using this this magical book to be able to tell all of his possible fates. So he basically chooses like a choose your own adventure ge- game where you choose your your option and then move pages, and he basically gets to find out all of the outcomes that could happen moving through his life from there forth. It's it's a Predominantly, it's like a top-down action game, but occasionally you get to make the choices. Uh, and you you do visit the same areas over and over again and fight the same kind of villains over and over again, but your motivations each time you visit those areas is different because of the cho- choices that you've made. Um, the narrative is really cool because as you replay and unlock new endings and you learn more about the characters, Reynardo then uses that in the context of moving forward for future playthroughs. So Reynardo is a constantly evolving character within all of this narrative. And like, for example, one character always betrays you. And after he's betrayed you enough times in the game, you kind of get the feeling that that happens and that becomes like a constant state. So when you start the, the game, you can then choose to either trust this character or not trust this character. And it's like a, an evolving thing because Reynardo's learned this new knowledge. Um, it's got a really cool like steampunk aesthetic with like flying ships and these really nice villages with like steampunk architecture. This game came out in 2016 and I started it back then and I played it through, I'd like say seven or eight times and I got the, the one true heroic ending. And I did most of the trophies in the game and there was like 10 endings that I'd not gotten in the game. And recently I was just looking for something to play like in bed waiting to go to sleep. So I picked, I started to play this game. And now every night I play through and choose a different set of four choices. I want to see all of the endings in this game. And I'm constantly impressed by how well this game adjusts to my choices, the, the different motivations that I come to. And even when I do crazy, like irresponsible, stupid things, the game makes it reasonable. So like I choose to go one place and then following that choose to do a completely different story path and the game kind of makes that work and it's it's phenomenal in the way it does it and it constantly tells these evolving stories that always have a weirdly satisfying ending despite the fact that so many of them end up in utter disaster and I've, I've been playing this game like I say every night for the last I'd say two weeks I'm getting very close to being done with it um, and having all of the endings done it's just that I I remember this game coming out and I just remember it kind of passing by and no one's talking about it anymore. And I just, I just feel if you've not played this game and you're looking for something that, you know, you, it's not great if you want to sit there and consume it all in one go because it will feel repetitive. But if like me, you've got like half an hour spare here or there and you just feel like dipping into something which is easy to play and easy to digest, get this. Stories, Path of Destinies, it's well worth a look. And so that's the game I want to shine my spotlight on. So thank you very much, guys. No bother. I did a quick, quick, uh, quick honourable mention to skyscrapers. Basically, anything ground shatter make. Well, you could do that one next week. All right then. There's a preview for next week. Yeah, you could you could do Rico and skyscrapers if you want. You know, 
Vigo London, which we still not got. Come on, God damn it! I know. Get on PlayStation, Vigo London, for goodness' sake. What are you doing? Path of Destiny uh, looks cool. I've just been watching a trailer yeah. while you've been talking. Yeah, it, I think it would be right up your alley. To be fair, yeah, that's cool. Um, the, is it a roguelike? Do you do, develop... do you do like? Is it roguelike each time? No, 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 no you don't. Different narrative. Like, like, if you die, you just respawn at the last checkpoint. It's it's like you basically play through the entire story okay. uh, each time, and once you finish, it takes you back to the start. But the idea is to learn things about four characters and two items that you pick up in the game, which then inform the rest of the story. So you can't get to certain options until you've done previous stories. Yeah. Okay. And um, It just looked a bit like it had a sort of roguelite like, of the combat thing going on. Oh, yeah. The thing is, the combat's so easy. Basically, as you play through, you get experience and you get points that you can put into like a skill tree. And once you've got past a certain point, the combat becomes basically like completely null and void because you're so overpowered compared to everything that it's like basically, you know, like Batman when in Batman Arkham City when you're completely overpowered in the wrong area and yeah. like folks come up and you just go pow, 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 and they're all dead. That's what happens. You basically become like a blade of ninja chaos and just kill everybody very quickly. Um, but it does have to to like spam XP. So and you need lots of XP to get like everything. So that's what I'm doing currently. It'd be right up your street, actually, Toby. And the developers made a different game. I, th- I can't remember what the name of it is, but uh, and they did that like a couple of years after they did this one. They are very good indie game developers. Cool. But yeah, so thank you very much for shining your spotlights on the games. No problem, Sean. Love You're you. welcome. Hey! Segment done. <laughs> So the last little thing that I wanted to do for this podcast is share some of the sources of information that I use to keep up to date on indie gaming and to name drop some of the outlets that I really respect. We don't write a whole lot of news articles at Finger Guns purely because of time constraints and I'd like to point our listeners at some of the places that do cover really great indie games and the news surrounding them. Firstly, there's a YouTube channel called Get Indie Gaming. I really respect this channel, I really respect the taste in indie games that they cover. They post very informative monthly videos on indie games to look forward to for the next month, and more often than not, they are very similar to the monthly list of indie games that I publish on fingerguns.net. The Twitter account is also a really great source for indie game news and opinions. They share all of the worthy news on their Twitter feed. It's well worth a follow. It's also worth mentioning that Get Indie Gaming are teaming up with another great YouTube channel called Indie Gamiacs to do a podcast. Again, Indie Gamiacs is a great channel that you should go and follow too. Now for some more traditional news outlets. Rock, Paper, Shotgun are fantastic for indie game news. They cover a lot of games that some outlets don't give the time of day to. And there's a lot of diamonds in the rough here. This is part of my daily routine now. I go to Rock, Paper, Shotgun, scroll through their news feed, and there's often names there that I've never heard before that are definitely worth a look at. I also have to give a shout out to an emerging source for indie game news, The Gamer website. As in, The Gamer. (laughs) 
This website has a tag for indie games and does regular roundups of the weekly indie game releases that they don't have many obvious admissions. The Gamer as a website has really come on massively over the last couple of years in my opinion and it's well worth a read anyway, it's got some great opinions on there too. I find that the best resource for indie gaming news however is the bird site, yes it's Twitter. While it's obviously has it has its downsides, Twitter can be amazing for discoverability for games. If you're on Twitter and you're looking for really great indie games you might not know about, you can check out some of the regular hashtags that do the rounds. There's Screenshot Saturday, where indie games post screenshots of their work in progresses. There's Pitchy Game, which has been going on for a couple of years now uh, since COVID started, where indie devs who are looking for publisher deals pitch their game in a single tweet. There's also Adventure Game Friday, which is usually hosted by a single Twitter account, and they share GIFs and news from other developers in the Adventure Game community. If you really want to get involved in indie games and want to feel the community and get the news, the best thing to do is just get involved. Go and follow some of these accounts to to tweet on these hashtags, and you'll find it is like a, a community of people that really just want everyone to succeed. They want everyone to eat. They share everyone's news and they share everyone's successes. It's a really great community and and as soon as you get underneath the first layer you'll find that you know it's it's easy to get involved and ingratiated into that community. Anyway, that brings an end to the first ever episode of Triple H Not Included. I want to again thank Doug for our interview. Go and check out Feral Flowers. I'd like to thank Paul for Finger Guns for designing the logo for the podcast and Andy for coming up from the awesome name. Seriously, some of the names I, were coming, I was coming up with were terrible, and Andy came up with triple A's not included, which I think is a fabulous name. Also, thanks to the rest of the Finger Guns team, to Ross, Toby, Miles and Kat, for shining a spotlight on some indie games. I'd also like to thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I know that listening to a podcast in 2021 is like being a kid in a candy store. There are billions out there, and I appreciate if you listen to this podcast for this long and got to this point if you did like it please feel free to share it around with your friends your neighbors your mailman your dog's walker your hairdresser whoever you think might like it please share it around if you didn't like it please let me know why you can get me on twitter or you can drop me an email to seanafigurguns.net and um, let me know how you think i could do this better apart from obviously changing my accent i'm kind of stuck with this one If you did like this and you fancy supporting us, you could do that via our Patreon. It's just $1 a month, which helps us keep all of our podcasts and website hosting services paid for. The link is in the description below. Again, thanks for listening, and I'll leave you with the rest of this awesome music track, which is Salt Lake Swerve by Martin Schellens. Now go and play some indie games. (laughs) 